Good morning. This is our second message in our series of sermons on who is our neighbor. If you're here today for the first time or you were not here last week, you can hear the message from last week on our podcast. Go to our website. You'll find it there. Also, um, we're spending the entire five weeks leading up to Easter reflecting on the story of where the man asked Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is expanding our understanding of who our neighbor is. And we're talking about how we expand that. How do we make that bigger? Who, who is our neighbor? And we're hearing stories every Thursday night. We hope you'll come on Thursday night to hear stories again. It's been a great, great series on Thursday evening. It's been very mind-opening and revealing to our hearts. We hope you'll join us on Thursday. Well, today is the second message in that series reflecting on the story of the Good Samaritan. For the purpose of that, I want to read this scripture to you. It comes from 1 John. It's not the one printed in your guide. Uh, I'm going to refer to that one a little bit later. But 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Let me pause and, and look at that last part of that verse. Feel the impact of what he's saying here. No one has ever seen God. But when we demonstrate love, his love is brought to full expression in us. You, you understand what that means? He's saying that the way that God is revealed to the world in the way that we love other people, the way we demonstrate love, and when God's love is given full expression in us, people are able to see who uh, the real God is. So this morning, I want to um, talk a little bit about selfies. And uh, I saw this picture, and I thought it was really very, very funny. And it's a photograph of of Jesus, actually not a photograph of Jesus, it's a cartoon of Jesus. And it shows Jesus with these people sitting around him. And it says, there will be a time when men and women will take photos of themselves and not each other. And uh, it's, have you ever seen, and have you seen one of these? This is probably the most obnoxious thing that was ever invented. You know, and uh, what's so obnoxious about this is, is the people who act, and I'm not putting you down if you have one. <laughs> Do you want to know where I got this one? This one belongs to my son, okay? Well, actually, we have two of them in our house, I found out. But <laughs> this is basically, a person is basically saying, I don't care if the world knows I'm a narcissist. I don't care if the world thinks 
that I'm at the center of the universe. The problem is we live in a very selfie world where we think that we're the center of the universe. And it's really, it's really hard to see your neighbor. It's hard to know your neighbor if you're looking at the world with yourself being the center of it. If all you're focused on is on yourself, you'll never see anybody but yourself in your own concerns and your own needs. And the whole focus of the teaching of Jesus is to get us to stop looking at self and to begin looking at others. You know, a few days ago, I was walking through, um, through Walmart, the little local Walmart grocery store, and I saw this older woman, and she was pushing a cart like this. And occasionally, you know, if you walk through the grocery store, you'll sometimes see older people who are using the grocery cart as a means of, uh, like a walker. And she's walking very slowly. And I walked up to her, and, you know, I looked at her, and, and she's got her head down, and I said, how's your day going? And she perked up. And I realized in that moment in asking her how her day was going, that because she lives alone, I asked her, do you live alone? And she said, yes. She probably thought I was going to rob her. <laughs> you know. But I realized I was the first person in that whole day who had actually spoken to her. That wasn't some sort of business transaction. I said, how's your day going? And she said, eh, it's okay. Normally when you ask, how's your day going, or how are you, they say, fine, you just move on, you don't really engage. But I decided just to stay there for a minute. And so I said, it doesn't sound like it's going very well. You said, just okay. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I just got out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for two weeks. I had major surgery. I said, how are you doing today? She said, well, it's taking me a while to recover. I'm not doing very well, and I don't feel very good today. I said, do you have anybody taking care of you? She said, no, I, I don't have anybody to take care of me. I live all alone. My husband died like 10 years ago. I said, oh, I'm so sorry that he died. And then she says, yeah, but he lived a lot longer than they thought because I'm a tough old lady. And uh, he was only supposed to live a year after he got his cancer. But he lived 10 years because I'm tough and I'm mean. And we built our house. And then I heard this great story. And I stood there and I thought, oh, I stood there like for 10 minutes. And I realized I was the first person that she spoke to perhaps that whole day. And you know, I don't know what that did for her, but that did so much good for me. And the thing that I realized is that the reason we want to love our neighbor is it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a have to, it really is a get to. And the reason we get to talk about what it means to love our neighbor is, is that when we get our eyes off ourselves and we begin to help other people, we begin to hear other people's stories, do you know what happens? is it's, it's just such a great feeling. It's a great feeling to have God's love flow through you. It's such a joyful thing to get your mind off yourself and to feel the love of God flow through you in the way that you were created to be. And sometimes you just have to stop long enough just to simply ask a question. So I want to dig in this morning. I want to ask you the question. Why don't we stop for people? Think about that for a minute. People that are hurting, people that are struggling, why don't we stop for people in the ditch? In the story it says 
that two men just walked right on by the man in the ditch on the Jericho Road. Why don't we stop? Well, let me give you something to think about then. Last week I put you in the ditch, remember? Last week I thought it was a very interesting way to look at the story to say, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as the good Samaritan that helps the other person. But I said, what happens when you begin to look at the story as I'm the person in the ditch and I'm the person that needs help? Well, I want you to, for the purpose of thinking about who we stop for, I want you to look in the ditch and I want you to know who is there. This time I want you to see Jesus in the ditch. Think about this. Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan and he said there's a man that's been wounded and left half dead. What if Jesus in that story is talking about himself? And he was. Think about it. Jesus lived, loved, gave his life away. He goes to Jerusalem. What happens? They beat him. They mocked him. They cursed him. They tied a beam of wood to his arms and hung it on his back and then marched Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem where people cursed him. They took him outside the city along the road at a city dump and they strung him up on a cross. And it was right by the roadside where travelers would go because the Romans wanted people to see human suffering. They wanted to see what would happen if you violated the law. And there Jesus is crucified. He's by the road. He's half dead. He's dying. And no one stopped for him. People walked by. People cursed him. And even those who said they would never betray him left him, left him alone there to die. He was then taken down from the cross and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But then on the third day, the Bible says that someone did stop. God stopped, went into that tomb, picked him up, healed him up, and brought him back to life. But here's what's really powerful about the story. Even though the world did not stop for him, he came back for us. Just think about that for a minute. The world did not stop for him, but he came back for us. Amazing. The disciples were locked away in a room. They were half dead. They were filled with fear. And he had every reason to come back filled with revenge and filled with a need for justice and to right a wrong. But instead that Jesus came back and went to them where they were half dead and where they were stuck and on the side of the road. And he came back and he gave them his love. He stopped for them. And that's the whole point of what we just read in 1 John. In 1 John it says... That God loves us even though we didn't love him. That he came to die on the cross for our sins. And even though we make bad decisions, and even though we get wounded, even though we get hurt, he keeps coming back again and again and again and again. Powerful. Meaningful. To think about his great love for us. There's this amazing verse I've been reading I've been reflecting on it now for a couple of weeks in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And it writes, he writes these words, Paul writes them, and he says, Examine yourselves 
to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Now, think about that for a minute. How would you determine if your faith was genuine or not, or real or not? Think about all the ways that people might say, is my faith genuine? We might say things like, well, I go to church every Sunday. Or we might say, well, I read the Bible daily. We might say that, well, I'm a religious person. I think religious thoughts. And those are all good things. Or I don't smoke. You know, I don't drink. You know, all those kinds of things. I don't gamble or whatever, things we don't do. But genuine faith is not defined by the things we don't do. It's defined by the things that we do do. And he says here that surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If you don't know that he's among you, you have failed the test of genuine faith. What does that mean? Where is he among us? He's among us with people who are hurting. He's among us with people who are in need. He's among us with people who are struggling. He's among us with people who are left in the ditch half dead. So so my whole point is if if you want to know where Jesus is in the world today and you want to go where he is, then you need to go to the place, where is he? He's in the ditch with the half dead. If he's coming back again and again to rescue people and to stop for people, if you want to be with him and you want your faith to be genuine and real, you're going to go where he is. You're going to spend time with him. And you're going to go and serve. And your faith is proved genuine by your capacity to love. What you believe doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to stop for someone who's in pain. That's how faith is made real in us. The world knows that God is real because we stop for people who have been hurting, who are wounded, who are in pain. There's an incredibly negative image in one of the teachings of Jesus. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? There's a really rich man. And outside his gate was a poor man who would beg for food. Every day the rich man would walk past the gate. He never saw the poor man. Poor man, rich man died the same day, Jesus said. Poor man goes to heaven. Rich man goes to hell. Now the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. The rich man, the Bible says, went to hell because he ignored the needs of the poor man. The reason the rich man went to hell, and this is, this is the teaching of Jesus, the reason the rich man went to hell was because in the life he lived, he never crossed the chasm and went to the aid of the person who had need. He didn't see and love his neighbor as he loved himself. But once he died, there was a chasm that existed between him and God that was too late to ever, ever be crossed. The question is, will we stop? Will we stop for others? Will we get our eyes off ourselves? So, you know, you look at the story then. So ask the question. Why do you think those two religious men didn't stop? You remember the story? Good Samaritan. Samaritan, the, the, the man's in the ditch. Samaritan helps the other two don't. Why do you think they didn't do it? 
One is because they thought they were too holy. You see, they, in that culture, if you stopped and you touched a dead person or if you helped a person who was in need or who was sick or was dying, it made you unclean. I'm going to tell you, that's just mixed up religion. It's mixed up religion to think that what you touch is going to make you unholy. That's what religion does. Religion makes you think you've got to separate from people who are not like you. You've got to get away from people who are bad. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. But for Jesus, he totally flipped that thing upside down and said, no, it's not about what you don't touch. It's about who you do touch. And Jesus touched everyone. My goodness, he was on the way to Jerusalem. He had a date with destiny, and he stopped and touched lepers. He touched sinful women. He touched tax collectors. He touched the demon-possessed. He touched all these things that made him religiously unclean. But these priests didn't stop because they had a mixed-up view of religion. Bad religion is don't touch. Good religion is do touch. The second reason that they didn't stop, perhaps, is that they were too busy. They had work to do. They had religious work to do. And it's really, really a bad thing when we put the church or the institution of the church where we put our religious work ahead of compassion. If the organization of the church isn't involved in compassion, it exists for no reason whatsoever but to take up our time and to make us busier. It's a confusion. The church exists for the world, not the world for the church. If the church is not involved in acts of compassion, then what are we here for? And it's a very... They were on their way to do religious duty, religious responsibility, and so they passed up the man that was in the ditch. Why do you think they didn't stop? I think maybe also they didn't stop, and this is probably the main reason they didn't stop, is because they were afraid. Is that why you don't stop? Because you're afraid? You know, when they saw the man in the ditch, they probably did what you do and what I do, is they asked themselves this question. The question is, what will happen to me if I stop? Think about that for a minute. You know, if they were to stop and help that man in the ditch, I mean, the guy got robbed, and what if the robbers are still around? Or what if the guy in the ditch is just faking it? And then I go down in the ditch to help the guy, and then he, he robs me. Or what if I choose to love someone that the world has condemned? You know, for, for example, like their sexual orientation. What if I choose to love them? Then what will other people, other people think of me? You know, sometimes... Um, you know, you look at the story of Jesus and you realize that Jesus started out with a really large crowd of people following him. But because of the people that he loved, what happened at the end of his life? He had no one following him. He only had people condemning him. Just because you can fill a room with lots of people doesn't mean you're being successful in the eyes of Jesus. I'm not trying to clear out the church or anything like that. I'm just saying that just because, you know, well, I'll be here next week, it'll be just me, you know. <laughs> Me and Dorothy, you know, Dorothy from Walmart. It'll be me and Dorothy. You know, just me and Dorothy. Dorothy's tough. She's great. But just because you're popular doesn't make you right. Just because you can fill a building 
doesn't make it right. And sometimes it's really easy to condemn the most vulnerable people and judge people who are vulnerable in order to draw a crowd around you. That'll make you really popular in the world today. So sometimes people don't stop because we don't want to stop because of the risk, the risk it will take, the risk it will involve. You know, I may get hurt, I may get wounded, I may look bad, I may be unpopular, it may cost me. The reality is if you want to follow Jesus, it is going to cost you. You can't follow him without a sacrifice. The second question, though, is it's interesting. And this is the question the Samaritan asked. Samaritan flips it. The two religious people go, what will happen to me if I stop? But the Samaritan asked the question, well, what will happen to the man if I don't stop? The people around us that are wounded, that are hurt, that are our neighbors, what will happen to them if I don't stop? That's the big question. What will happen to that person if I don't stop and listen and hear their story? I'm really moved when I heard this week the story. You know where you know Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know what he was doing in Memphis the day that he was he was he was assassinated when he was killed. The Lorraine Motel. You know what he was doing there. Uh, he went there because. Um, he was there because there was a sanitation strike going on. The men who drove the, the, the garbage trucks in the city of Memphis were on strike because they were not allowed to eat their lunch outside of their truck. They went on strike. The people in the city of Memphis, uh, there were four men on a garbage truck. And the people where they picked up the garbage did not like the fact that these men they considered unsavory when they would stop for their lunch break would sit on the street or sit outside the truck and eat their lunch. So the law required them to eat their lunch inside the truck. Can you imagine four men sitting inside of a dump uh, a trash truck trying to eat your lunch together? Well, one day it was a rainy day, and this would often happen on rainy days, Two of the men got out of the truck and went into the back of the trash truck and sat in the back where the compactor is. And something went wrong with the trash compactor and it activated with the two men in the back while they were eating their lunch. And it crushed them to death. So the sanitation workers in the city of Memphis who were on the lowest part of the social scale began to protest and no longer picked up garbage. So Martin Luther King Jr. told the men and women in the civil rights movement, we're going to Memphis to fight on behalf of these sanitation workers. They questioned him. They said, we've got all these other important things to do. Why do we have time to go to Memphis for some garbage collectors? And he says, what will happen to them? if we don't stop. But here's a third question. And this may be the best question of all. What will happen to me? What will happen to me if I don't stop? See the difference between the first question? The first question is what will happen to me if I stop? But what will happen to me if I don't stop? If I don't stop, if I don't listen, 
if I don't take a risk, if I don't get my eyes off myself and on some other person and listen to their story, really listen and do something to help or to love my neighbor, I will never be the person I was created to be. I will never know Jesus. I will never fully know God. And my world will shrink and become smaller and smaller and smaller. At the end of 1 John, he writes these words. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment. Remember rich man and Lazarus? We're not going to be afraid like Lazarus and the rich man. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. What does that mean? Stopping. Listening. Loving. Caring. Healing. And such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels fear. I, love, I just love that because when the love of Jesus is beginning to work inside of us and when it's beginning to do its work in us, and what happens? That fear goes away. The fear of the other, the fear of the stranger, the fear of the person that's different from us. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other. We love the other because He first loved us.